0: Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a No Film School podcast. I'm John Fusco. I'm Eric Lures. And it is November 22nd, 2018. Happy Thanksgiving. On this week's show, The Resurrection of Filmstruck, Apple makes some big changes to Final Cut, and, as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. (music) Welcome to this week's show. Uh, if you're actually listening and not hanging out with your family or eating food or watching football or... You're
1: preparing for Black Friday. That used to be a big thing. Is that still a big thing? I know now with Cyber Monday and everything online. It's kind
0: of a big thing still. I don't yeah. know. It's just, there's so many other... It it like lasts a whole week now. So... Yeah. I don't know. They have door busters. Yeah.
1: But I did that once, like ten years ago. And remember Circuit City? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, I did a Circuit City Black Friday at like 5 a.m. to get DVDs for the great price of like three or four dollars. DVDs. Which I got yeah, that's great. I, I wasn't after a big television or a yeah. uh, video game system. I just got these DVDs for like three bucks, which now seems expensive. Uh, but at the time, this is probably 2007 or six. Uh, th- it was all the rage at Circuit City. Damn. Yeah. I,
0: I think that I did it once for Nintendo's uh, 3DS. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And that was like
1: it was it's not as far back as yeah. mine was,
0: right? yeah that's that's not as far back as I'm comfortable to admit. it was <laughs> last year when you did it. it was like yeah, a few years ago, really yeah.
1: just check when that came out, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see when John did Black Friday. Uh, but it, that's also you ever see like those the footage of everyone stomping over I each never, other. never
0: never have done that
1: no, attacking each other with the boxes no. and everything no, no, but there'll be video of
0: it this year, I guarantee it. And, you know, in addition to the merry tidings of Thanksgiving, uh, believe it or not, we're actually starting the week off with some good news. That's what we're thankful for. Uh, Yeah, it's been a while. If you've ever wondered if all those online petitions you've signed actually work, well, it seems like that's a uh, maybe. This was from change.org. I don't or know. maybe. Oh, okay. I actually didn't even look at the petition. Or I've signed it. <laughs> those
1: and I wonder sometimes.
0: Did you sign this petition? Where, I did fil-
1: I did sign the Filmstruck one. Yes. And I think it was change.org, but who knows?
0: We're talking about the Filmstruck petition, um, which was started by none other than Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. They personally created the petition. That's They're
1: what, like, oh, where's that URL? How do we yeah. upload
0: this file? They're very tech savvy. But, you know, after this petition went live a couple weeks ago, uh, a group of filmmakers and actors joined the cause last week. And these included Paul Thomas Anderson, Damien Chazelle, Alfonso Cuarón, Guillermo del Toro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Alejandro González Iñárritu, Barry Jenkins, Ryan Johnson, Christopher McQuarrie, Mission Impossible, Christopher Nolan, and Emma Thomas, Barbara Streisand... Wow! Wow! She even tweeted about it. She even tweeted. All these people have been <laughs> tweeting like crazy about it, too. It's really cool to ah, that's see. amazing. Uh, and, of course, Edgar Wright. They all came together to write a letter to Warner Brothers Picture Group chairman Toby Emmerich uh, in a plea to save the service.
1: Which celebrity's voice would you like to read this letter in? <laughs> Barbara Streisand? Yes.
0: Can you read this in
1: Barbara Streisand? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: a hard voice. Very Brooklyn-y. Uh, Well, I'm going to read the letter because it's really, uh, I don't know, it it really gives you a sense of what this film service means to, you know, not only aspiring directors, but directors who have been around the block a couple times and, uh, you know, established themselves as some of the preeminent voices in contemporary cinema. And it's really about the cinema's past and how important that is. So without any further ado, the letter reads... Dear Toby, We know that Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese have been in touch with you and Warner's media group about the demise of Filmstruck and have urged you guys to keep it going. While it was not your decision, we would like to loudly echo their sentiments. The Filmstruck service was, in parentheses, is, the best streaming service for fans of cinema of all kinds. Classic studio movies, independent cinema, international treasures. Without it, the landscape for film fans and students of cinema is especially bleak. There's a reason there was a huge outpouring from artists and fans over it being shuttered. They were doing the movie god's work. We know one of the reasons that it has been shut down is because of an upcoming Warner streaming service, but really, filmstruck shouldn't be a conflict of interest. In this day and age where there are dozens of platforms, curation of content is really important, and Filmstruck was providing a service to both satisfy older fans of cinema and a younger generation of cinephiles that will be making amazing movies long after we're dead. In an era of huge corporate acquisitions of cinema by communication companies in a business that may render billions of dollars off a medium like cinema, we believe this is a gesture that is needed, a minuscule show of goodwill towards the preservation and accessibility of a tradition and a rich history that would benefit the public. So we want to add our names to the petition started by Marty and Stephen and want you and Warners to know that we feel equally strongly and would do anything to support the service being saved. End of letter. And while Filmstruck itself may not have been saved by their efforts, the Criterion Collection has certainly taken notice of the public outcry for a service which displays their curated films. And with that in mind, last week, they announced that they will be launching their own channel in spring of 2019 called the Criterion Channel. Mm, TCC. In a statement issued by the company, they announced that the channel will be entirely owned and controlled autonomously. The statement reads, The Criterion channel will be picking up where the old service left off, programming director spotlights and actor retrospectives featuring major Hollywood and international classics and hard-to-find discoveries from around the world. Complete with special features like commentaries, behind-the-scenes footage, and original documentaries, we will continue with our guest programmer series, Adventures in Moviegoing, our regular series like Art House America, Split Screen and Meet the Filmmakers, and our 10 Minutes or Less section will all live on, along with Tuesday's Short and Feature and the Friday Night Double Feature, and of course, our monthly 15-minute film school, Observations on film art. So, You can see how valuable of a service this is if you want to sign up to be a charter member of the channel, which I did and highly recommend you do too, they will be starting from scratch with no subscribers and need all the help they can get. Go to criterion.com slash channel and sign up to be a charter subscriber, then tell your friends to sign up too. If you act fast, you will get a reduced subscription fee for as long as you keep your subscription active. The regular fee will be ten ninety-nine a month or a hundred dollars a year. But as a charter subscriber, you'll pay nine ninety-nine a month or eighty-nine ninety-nine a year. That's ten dollars. Well. Wow. So you save a buck a month.
1: And so being a charter member means you're kind of in the beta version of yeah. it, I guess, when it yep. kicks off?
0: I think it's a way for them to actually like see if they'll be able to pull this off. Yeah. So the more people that sign up, the more likely the chance of this channel actually happening.
1: And I wonder also if the Criterion channel will only will feature titles that are current Criterion titles. Because some go out of print, of course, and cost a lot more. I wonder how large their library is beyond what they have in terms of physical media. I don't know. Um, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Because uh. it's a cool idea. I do worry that we're still going to like the separating of streaming services where you need to, oh, that's a Criterion film. So let me get the Criterion streaming service. Or this film is uh, Paramount title or Warner Brothers title so let me get this service like I, I do wonder if we're going to be having 20 25 different streaming services that we have to sign up for I mean yeah that's, everything. that's
0: what's going to happen Eric
1: <laughs> I mean yeah it seems like we're going for it used to just be <laughs> that's you what's know, happening Netflix, and it used to be Hulu would have criterion titles yep. you know for a while yep. and then that ended and yep. then it's
0: just, but they didn't even they didn't have all the criterion cult, no. um, titles but they had a lot of them um, Janice mean, films I mean Disney guess. is opening their streaming service next year Warner Brothers is starting a streaming service which is why they've pulled filmstruck uh anyways and film like the the criterion movies will be a part of that um subscription package i guess on the new warner brothers streaming service when it comes out so if you do want to wait until next fall when the warner brothers package comes out you can also opt for that um
1: and they'll kind of be in competition with each other I guess. I don't know. I'm okay. not sure. Huh.
0: I'm not sure how that's going to work out. We'll see.
1: I I will say I did start my shutter free trial. Oh, so, cool. I'm cool with free trials. Yeah. Beyond that, I I don't know. You get a month. <laughs> I think so I get 30 days to really I, and I think about it hard whether or not I'm going to continue. Yeah. But I'll <laughs> sign up for this so. And now because it was too positive of, of a news day, we're going to bring it down a little bit with some uh Some passings. Uh, Douglas Rain, who you may not know by name, but you know by voice, I would guess. Uh, He was the voice of Hal 9000, and he just passed away last week at the age of 90. The cold, emotionless Hal 9000, which is, of course, the villainous arch rival of... Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, was voiced by Canadian thespian Douglas Rain, an actor who sadly passed away last week in his hometown of Stratford, Ontario. He was Canadian. Known primarily for his work in the theater, the actor's cool, calm, and collected voice had seeped into the minds of cinephiles worldwide for his work on Kubrick's film, which is currently celebrating its 50th anniversary. Recorded in New York City while the film was in post-production, it took only a day and a half of work for Rain to voice his performance as Hal. Others had auditioned for the role, of course, and I wish those auditions would be released somehow (laughs) because imagine hearing someone else talk about Dave in that same way would be quite a – listen. But it was Rain's delivery, which was void of human emotion but not intent, that ultimately netted him both Kubrick's approval and the job. Uh, Rain was actually so good, in fact, that he went on to uh, reprise his role in the, I think, underrated 2010, the year we made contact – Uh, as well as obtained the gig of another evil computer in Woody Allen's 1973 film, Sleeper. But he was mostly known for being a theater actor. Mm. So rest in peace to Doug. And late last week, last Friday, the 16th of November, William Goldman, legendary and prolific screenwriter and author and teacher and novelist, uh, passed away at the age of 87. Goldman was primarily known for being the screenwriter behind Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and all the president's men and the princess bride and he's also won two Academy Awards, both for *Butch Cassidy* and *Presidents' Men*. And also wrote the screenplays for some creepy hits. That's the best way I could describe them. Uh, they're very enjoyable, though, like *Misery*, *Marathon Man*, *Magic*, *The Stepford Wives*. Uh, he also wrote, unfortunately, the movie *Dreamcatcher*. If you remember that Stephen King one? Yeah, In I kind of remember it. 2003. I never saw it, but uh, yeah, a- aliens come out through the rectum of their victims, and it's it was not Lawrence Kasdan directed. It. I don't recommend it anyone. Watching, but I'm sure it just inspired somebody to check it out uh, in addition he also you inspired me to check I it out I know Dreamcatcher, guys 2003 <laughs> Morgan Freeman shows up for a hot second sounds like
0: a I mean it's got it's William Golding wrote the screenplay hey, K- Stephen King, King. novel mm, yep. Lawrence Kasdan directed it Morgan Freeman's, Morgan Freeman's in it,
1: in it. A really good cast, Thomas Jane. But actually, you know what? I, you should check it out. Okay, i it. Because it, you'll be shocked at how bad it gets. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, of course, in addition to the great autobiographical book, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. As our own George Edelman wrote in his obit for the site, Goldman said, Nobody knows anything, but it seems for certain that Goldman knew one thing very well, how to tell a good story. Perhaps his humility, despite all his nearly unparalleled success, was one of the keys to such a long career. Goldman didn't just write movies that we remember, that won awards, and that made money. He wrote movies that live in our hearts forever, and characters who belong in the pantheon of great archetypes. He made screenwriting seem awesome and approachable, and for that, screenwriters everywhere will never forgive him. Uh, I thought that was funny. A uh, Good way to kind of keep him in our hearts, he has written, like George mentioned, so many novels as well, and he was really an r- all-around writer's writer, if you will, and definitely William Goldman is one of the most f- famous screenwriters, I'd say, in American movie history.
0: Rent Dreamcatcher. Rent Dreamcatcher as a tribute to William Golding this Thanksgiving and watch it with your family. <laughs> okay, let's move on to
2: gear news. Hey, Charles, what's your deal today? Hello, everybody. This is Charles Hain here with Tech News, right before or during Thanksgiving. Some of you are probably listening to this while driving to your Thanksgiving meals right now uh, for No Film School for the week of Thursday, November 22nd. So, first up, Apple has unleashed a whole bunch of new features into Final Cut Pro ten. Like a lot of people, I switched off of Final Cut Pro, which I'd been on for a decade with the old version with the release of ten and for a long time wasn't really interested in going back, but the last two years have seen a whole host of features rolling out from Cupertino to improve Final Cut 10 to make it a more usable tool. This year I've already had two major upgrades, so we had one earlier, I guess it was like a year ago now, that was including better video out options, and then this year they're really focusing on finishing the release last week, has a noise correction tool built in, we played with it, it's very useful. It has a very simple interface but that's kind of great. I'll be honest, like I use noise correction in DaVinci Resolve and I use Neat neat Video all the time. And every once in a while, you really need to go crazy with the fine tuning tools and use the A-B compare and all of that stuff. A lot of times you are running late and you just want a noise correction that's GPU optimized that runs quickly. And we actually found the new built-in noise correction tool in Final Cut to be pretty good. As always, when you crank up any noise correction too far, it's going to look kind of plasticky. The same is true here. That's noise correction for you. Uh, they also have a new compare tool, and some of the really coolest stuff is they've really enabled a lot of very powerful extensions into the software. So this goes beyond a plug-in. Like, when we think of a plug-in, we think of the ability to, like, manipulate the audio or manipulate the video, layering something on top of the video. Whereas when we think about an extension, we're talking about much more powerful integration between third party applications and the interface. So specifically with Final Cut Pro, Frame.io has a powerful new extension. I mean, the, the headline news of it is one of the biggest frustrations people have about Frame.io. Frame.io, if you don't know it, is an online review platform where, like, a client can watch your video and then any time they start talking, it automatically does a time-coded note. So, you know, they get – rather than getting an email that's like, hey, it's seven minutes, I didn't like this shot. And you're like, was it seven minutes and ten or seven minutes and 20? You never really know. With this, it's tagged to the time code and it's always been able to go into your timeline as it shows up as markers. But one thing anybody who's used Frame.io knows is that, let's say, you go in and you tweak that first client note, the first marker in your timeline. And what happens is if you change the timing of the shot, the rest of your sequence moves, but your markers don't move. They stay in place. So the notes are no longer useful. So Frame.io, by working with closely, I believe, with the Final Cut team, was able to implement a workflow that really is way more than a plugin. It is a full on extension of the application that allows you to create a compound clip that keeps the comments with their place in the timeline so that as you go through the timeline making changes, it keeps the rest of your markers in place. The workaround for those of us in other applications is to start working backwards. You start with the notes at the end of the timeline and then you slowly move forward over the course of the timeline as you go. Um, so that's the workaround, that's the cheat. But. It's really nice to see Frame.io building in these integrations. There's also this crazy tool. So you send someone something from the Frame.io workflow in Final Cut, and then you can watch them watch it. Like a little playhead comes up with their picture, and you can be like, oh, whoa, Tina, the client, is watching right now. And then she stops. And then is she typing a note? Is she getting coffee? What's going on? So, like, When you're in a tense client review process with a contentious client, that's likely going to be complicated, but it's also going to be really fascinating because then if you get notes from people who clearly never watched it, uh, you will know. So it's going to be really interesting. I think it's really going to change the way we collaborate with our uh, remote team members. As always, we think the best move is to get everybody in the room together, but if you can't get everybody in the room together, which is increasingly hard to do, uh, I'm very excited to see how these kind of tools play out. Next up, another thing from that same release with Apple, Apple also released a support note that says in future versions of Mac OS, they are dropping some legacy codecs. And this doesn't, this note doesn't say in future versions of Final Cut. It says in for future versions of Mac OS. These are, the big ones are HDKMSR, which like, fine, whatever, old, um, HDKMSR, I have a lot of affection for because it came from filmmakers pushing Sony. When Sony first released HDCAM, it was like 8-bit 420, and filmmakers were like, no, we really actually would love 10-bit 444, so they pushed for it. So I have affection for HDKMSR, but you can transcode that to ProRes. That's not a big deal. What's interesting is they're dropping software-encoded DNxHR and Cineform. Now... Obviously, the makers of those codecs can rewrite them into 64-bit native, and I'm sure Apple will be supporting them. I think it's likely that with this announcement, software makers will be motivated to do that, but it's something filmmakers should be aware of. This is this is Apple. They dropped the disk drive. They dropped old USB. Going way, way back, they dropped the, like, 3.5-inch drive. Apple likes moving to the future. And for some of us stubborn curmudgeons, like I still have a success because I like my headphone jack. Um, sometimes they do it too quickly, but it is a way of moving things forward. Apple is pushing really hard to go for 64-bit because it's gonna make everything better. And I suspect that I'd be willing to make good money that there will be 64-bit implementations for Cineform and Avid DNxHR by the time a future Mac OS drops the support. If you want to stay on the legacy OS or if you want to move to the new OS, one workflow is to transcode all of that media into future proof codecs like Apple ProRes. And frankly, with a lot of older codecs, like when I'm working on, if HDV footage comes in on an archival documentary or something, we just by habit now transcode that to ProRes Quattro. Or if you're in New York, ProRes 4x4 uh, in order to have that in a usable format because who feels like dealing with HDV? Next up, DJI has released a whole host of accessories for their Ronin-S Stabilizer. We played with the Ronin-S over the summer. It's a really fantastic evolution of the Stabilizer from DJI. It's one of those things where all sorts of things sort of come together. Uh, It's, I don't know, $800, $750. It's really targeted at the DSLR and the mirrorless market. It's going to really be a great complement for something like a GH5. And it's a, it's a phenomenal stabilizer, and one of the fun things about it is they've really thought through a lot of things like there's a focus knob, and then you can plug in your GH5 to the support arm and control focus with your thumb while you are working. It's really getting closer to the one mule team kind of dream a lot of us have with the stabilizer. A lot of us foresee a stabilizer and you're like, oh, I can run around and do this crazy stuff, but without someone pulling focus, which usually requires a remote follow focus system of some sort, you can't get all the shots you want to design. And by building that focus knob control in there, you're getting that really fascinating functionality. So with this new update, the big marquee feature is they've released a rod and focus motor and uh, like a ring set. It's like a zip tie style ring set reusable that will allow you to use manual lenses on your own NS. You're still not going to be able to fit like a full PL mount epic on there. That's going to be too much weight. But let's say you wanted to run a gun with a GH5S with like a PL mount adapter and some cool old lenses that fit within the weight limit. Obviously, in order for the GH5S to normally pull focus, it's using the internal motor control on the lenses. That's what it's interfacing with. But that's not always supported by every camera platform. And there's some lenses that just don't have it. A lot of legacy cinema lenses don't. So It's a very affordable accessory set for the DJI Ronin-S that I think is gonna really let this camera show up on a lot more narrative style productions. Along with it, they also have like a very cool Garfield mount that'll allow you to, it's not actually a Garfield mount, that's a proprietary name for when you do it with a Steadicam, But it's a mount that you can like screw into a board or belt down into a car mount that it's going to let you have a stabilized head that you can mount to a car mount. And then since the battery for the Ronin-S is in the handle, it comes with an accessory plug, which is very cool and super useful so that you can power it separately with a USB battery or plugging into the wall or something like that. It's very cool. They're also selling a whole bunch of other cool new accessories and they're selling like extra battery handles so you could have two of them charged so you could swap them out. I mean, that battery handle lasts a really long time. I'm hoping they sell a mini battery handle soon, like a one-fister battery handle, because right now, I love their Ronin-S, but that current battery handle is very big, because they're sticking a lot of battery in there, and it'd be fun if there was like a one-handed battery handle. You hear that, DJI? I think DJI listens to this. For Ask No Film School this week, Divine asks, I'm planning a shot in which one of the characters leans against a wall while sitting on the floor. Is it possible to light my character without hideous shadows on the wall? Divine? that's a great question. Um, it's also gonna kick off an anecdote. I got a call from a student once who hated shadows, hated shadows, and they called me on a weekend, which normally is not a, I was like, where I was teaching, we had people, you were on call for a given weekend to answer student questions. And they were like, all right, so we've lit the room so there are no shadows. Everywhere in the room is a T4. And they were shooting 50-speed film. And first off, I was like, it must be very hot in that room. And secondly, like, it's impossible to light the room with no shadows. An important distinction most early filmmakers need to accept is they need to get the distinction between frustrating, annoying shadows and good shadows. And good shadows are really relevant because they give us shape and depth, right? When a shadow, when you mentioned Rembrandt lighting in the longer version of your question, and Rembrandt lighting is defined by shadows, right? You get that beautiful triangle highlight on a cheekbone, but that triangle highlight on a cheekbone is created by the shadow being cast by the nose onto the other cheekbone on the shadow side. So shadows are not inherently bad. What you are frustrated by, I think, and what you've noticed in other projects is you've noticed what we call like unrealistic shadows, shadows that show up when you have a film light going that don't show up in nature. And that's one of those things that immediately sort of make something look very lit and very artificial. And it's really tricky because one of the things we do to get rid of those shadows in a film set is we don't put people by walls so that we're not even seeing that artificial shadow. But there's a couple other techniques you can use in order to try and minimize the shadows. One of those things is softening your light. A hard shadow shows up in nature. You walk out at noon on a clear cloud this day and the sun will cast a hard shadow on the ground. So hard shadows are not unnatural, but we don't see a lot of them, especially indoors at night. Most people have softer lighting in their homes. So hard shadows often look unnatural to us where there's a real hard distinction between the shadow and the brightness. So you can soften your light. Do that by bouncing your light into a bounce card. You can do that by putting some diffusion on your unit. You can do that by anything you do to make the light source bigger is going to make that light source softer. And that softer light is not going to give you as much shadow awareness as you get out of that hard light. The next thing I would really recommend is thinking about light direction. The thing that so often throws people with shadows, especially when they first start lighting, is Our brains are very good at figuring out where light is coming from. And so when you look at a shot and there's a shadow and it feels like it's coming from a weird place where your brain is thinking there's no light over there or like I know the sun is this way and the shadow is that way. It confuses the brain and that's one of the things that makes light feel artificial. So when you're setting up your light source, I would think about motivating your light sources. I would think about like, oh, I might have this light out of frame, but it's supposed to mimic a lamp. So it's going to feel like a lamp, and as soon as my brain sees it, since it feels like lamp light, and maybe it even saw a lamp in that corner earlier, it's going to feel more natural, and the brain is going to interpret it as being correct. The last thing to really think about is using barn doors and flags to really control that light in, to really focus it in just on that person, so not as much of it is up on the wall, Right. If you have a wall that's darker than your forward subject, even if there's shadows on it, it's not going to be distracting. But if the wall is two or three stops brighter than your main subject, you're going to see those shadows and it's going to be very distracting. Um, Divine, this was a really great question. I wish you good luck with your shoot. It is entirely possible to do cool shots where people lean against a wall and it doesn't look terrible. It's a little tricky. But give yourself some time and patience and lighting and try a few different scenarios, especially on softness and direction. And I think it'll come out pretty well. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
0: All right. And now on to some movies opening this week on Amazon Prime Instant. You can check out Downsizing, which comes out November 24th. This is Alexander Payne's latest, which premiered at TIFF in 2017. And it's a venture into sci-fi territory for the dramedy maverick.
1: Yeah, I love dramedies. Sometimes whenever I laugh I like to feel bad about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is a social satire in which a man realizes he would have a better life if he were to shrink himself to 5 inches tall allowing him to live in wealth and splendor. It sounds like a really interesting conceit. I'm I, I'd like to see it.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I if I shrunk down to 5 inches I'd be living a life of
0: splendor. Well, they got all these like they sh- I guess they'll, they're they're living in a they get the chance to live in a miniature uh, like community, oh, or community, something? okay. That has splendor. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, the film stars Matt Damon, Kristen Wig, and Christoph Waltz. Because of the complex scope and special effects, downsizing cost over three times the budget of any previous Alexander Payne film, and so it took a long time to get off the ground. In an interview with the film's DP, Fedone, Papa Michael, Oakley Anderson Moore writes that, quote, "...the wait was worth it. The result is a signature Alexander Payne film that combines realism with absurdity on a larger and simultaneously smaller scale than we've ever seen before." We'll link to that whole interview with Papa Michael, who has lensed every one of Payne's films on the post associated with this episode. And out in theaters now is Creed Two. It came out last night because of the Thanksgiving weekend. The sequel to the reboot that made Ryan Coogler a household name is now in theaters. It continues the story of Adonis Creed, who, under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, faces off against Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago. I personally loved Creed, but one of our newest writers, Jason Hellerman, warns viewers to be wary of what he calls the Rocky II syndrome for Creed II. It's a repeat of a great thing, so it can only ever be good, is what his thesis is.
1: A repeat of a great thing is only good. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Interesting. What's more, he said, quote, he was hoping the movie would leave the daddy issues behind and let Creed become his own man, but instead it refocuses on these elements. It's still exciting and contains thrilling moments, but in a way it's hampered by feeling like it owes Rocky fans an obligatory homage to other films instead of exploring new territory. It's cool to see Drago's son, but is it cooler than letting Creed become its own thing? Wow. So we'll let you answer that question for yourself, the film is directed by Stephen Caple Jr. and stars Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, and Tessa Thompson.
1: And I will say, sorry, I got a, an email, a pitch, which was somewhat of a spoiler about another person in this movie.
2: Oh. Uh-oh. I don't know if I should say oh, who it is. I think I know. Yeah, I th- think it's I know who you're
1: talking about. Yeah. Okay. I got this I, pitch I too. thought it was like a big spoiler. But is it? Maybe. Not, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know they got married or whatever. But.
0: Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, we won't say anything else. Yep, she was on a VH1 show. Yes, yes, she was. She's
1: in a previous Rocky movie as well.
0: Oh, <laughs> ah, there you go. So, anyways, you can check out our comprehensive ranking of all the Rocky movies in the post with this podcast. And on November twenty third, you can finally go see the favorite. The favorite is easily one of my favorite movies of the year, even with the unnecessary you in there. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone, but if you've seen any other films in director Yorgos Lanthimos's canon, then you already knew that. I will say, however, that it is probably the most palpable project he's made to date. For surrealists, any image can be too much or too little, and it's a delicate balance, but one that Lanthimos has truly mastered with his latest... In the period piece set in early 18th century England, a frail Queen Anne, played by Olivia Colman in one of the best performances of the year, occupies the throne and her close friend, Lady Sarah, played by Rachel Weisz, governs the country in her stead. When a new servant, Abigail, played by Emma Stone, arrives, however, her charm endears her to Sarah and a competition to be the Queen's favorite emerges. I sat down with Lanthimos a couple weekends ago, and aside from being horrendously hungover from a concert the night before, I think that the uh, interview with the animatic Greek tour went pretty well.
1: Were you hungover? Or he was hungover. I was very hungover. Uh, you were hungover. I was actually. more hungover than I've been in years, Jesus. and
0: uh, I don't know what happened.
1: But I guys, I hope my ever since I saw this movie, I've been using a word. It's technically not PG, guys, so cover your ears. But stricken. Okay which <laughs> I'll, i'm gonna bleep that out you're gonna bleep that out yeah. okay well watch the movie blank stricken uh it's something <laughs> well, that's in the favorite v- that needs to come back in style i think
0: it's uh <laughs> there's a lot of great dialogue <laughs> just, in language.
1: So it's just quips that just like yeah. fly off the tug i'm like oh my god
0: i actually so in this interview podcast um we also have tony mcnamara who's the screenwriter um and they talk a little bit about their process uh and that episode will be coming out on Monday. And uh, we also discuss how commercial work early in his career, Lanthimos' career, ended up steering him in the complete opposite direction, not conforming to filmic norms and breaking every possible rule you can. So stay tuned for that. It's a good one, despite how hungover I was. And also opening on Friday, November 23rd, is Shoplifters, which
1: this film has been to virtually every major film festival in 2018. It peaked at Cannes where director Hirozaku Kurieda won the Palme d'Or. In it, a family of small-time crooks taking a child they find on the street, and it is a Japanese-language film, and one you bet will be nominated for an Academy Award, most likely, uh, in a stacked year for films around the world. I know it's open pretty limited right now, but there are two films, this and... Did you see Burning?
0: Yeah, I saw Burning. Oh,
1: Burning's supposed to be great, right? Yeah, it was very okay. good. Those are the two like international ones that I'd like to see the most, so Shoplifters opens Friday.
0: Yeah, check it out. Hmm?
1: Now for some upcoming deadlines and events. With the deadline of December 1st is the Roy Dean Grant from The Heart Productions. This fall, the Roy Dean Grant will give out $3,000 in cash and over $30,000 of in-kind services and products and is open for shorts, docs, and feature films with a budget of under $500,000. They fund compelling stories about little-known subjects, historical films, and films that touch hearts. That's why it's called From the Heart Productions. We like films that expose and bring important information to light, as well as films about little-known people when there is a
0: good story. That's little-known people, not little people like in Downsizing, which we talked about earlier. Yes. And now onto the festival deadlines. The Cleveland International Film Festival has a deadline on November 30th. This takes place March 27th to April 7th, 2019 in Cleveland, Ohio. It's the final deadline 43 years running. It's held by the Cleveland Film Society every year. It's been recognized as one of the 50 leading film festivals in the world by IndieWire, as well as the USA Today runner-up for best film festival in the country. What was number one? We, we talked about this we talked last, last I think week. it was Santa Barbara? Maybe. Yes, that sounds about right. Me. USA Today, we talked about last week as
1: having... Was it number one yeah. festival that they had last week we spoke of? I don't recall what it was. If you
0: remember, let us
1: <laughs> It's definitely not on mom's list, though, at all. I'm looking it's not it, a, it looks
0: like it's not on mommy's list, but, you know, that doesn't mean you shouldn't <laughs> apply to it because sometimes- We're Americans. You USA gotta... Today is the Bible. Yeah. So there are tons of great cash prices, including the Roxanne T. Mueller Award for Best Feature Film, $15,000 for that one, the Real Woman Direct Award, and it's for women only, uh, that's got a ten thousand dollar reward. The Central and Eastern <laughs> European competition for post Soviet bloc narrative feature, which is Eric's There has to be perennial a perennial favorite. There has to be a reason. Is the community so- I think, Soviet? Yeah, Cleveland yeah. has strong ties to the post Soviet bloc. I
1: don't I know. It just seems so out of the ordinary that I just assume that the community there must be pretty. You know
0: pretty the baseball intense. team there is called the Cleveland Indians.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> so maybe they're <laughs> are the Cavaliers a uh, post-Soviet block uh, yeah, basketball Yeah, I think
0: that both of those allude to like some post-Soviet block lore. I think so. Anyways, that is also <laughs> a prize that will get you $10,000 so if you have a incredibly niche film uh, that is good and you want to win $10,000, you're probably not going to find much other competition there. Anyways, you can check out their site to see all the prizes and categories because they're extensive and they cover a lot of ground. And also with the deadline on November 30th is the Short Shorts Film Festival. This takes place in Tokyo, Japan, June 3rd to the 23rd, 2019. It started in 1999 and became an Academy of Motion Picture Art and Sciences accredited festival in 2004, where the winner of the Short Shorts Grand Prix is eligible to receive an Academy Awards nomination. The Best Short Award winner wins 600,000 yen, which is approximately 5,400 U.S. dollars. And I applied to this thing, Ah. like, earlier in the year, maybe like a month ago, and it didn't cost anything to apply to. So I'm not sure if that's still the case, uh, but definitely check it out because it is a leading international film competition, Ah. uh, for shorts at least.
1: That's a good point, too. Now as we get closer to the end of the year, now those, like, Yep. acceptances or non-accepts start coming in with festivals and oh, things yeah. like that, so it's a tough Thanksgiving. Is not always fun for every filmmaker out there.
0: The first deadline that I'm waiting back to hear from is Sundance, and that's December 7th. Okay, December and, 7th, okay. Um, i
1: losing my mind. I know. Yeah, I think on Monday they announced the feature slate. Yeah, so, I think so. Good luck out Whew, there. That's going to be fun. We're coming. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, also coming with the deadline of December 1st is the River Run International Film Festival, which takes place April 19th through the 29th 2019 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Each spring, River Run screens new narrative, documentary, student and animated films of all lengths from established and emerging filmmakers around the world. River Run has cash prizes, is an Academy Award qualifying festival for documentary and animated shorts. Now this was named one of Mom's mommy's 50 film festivals worth the entry fee in 2018 so she particularly likes this one this year
0: do you think that we should get a like do a sound effect for mommy's list like maybe like
1: clean your room oh yeah like oh, google gaga go- go, 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 go. yeah i think so that way we don't have to keep saying it this one is a <laughs> wah, wah, on the list i thought you were gonna say a partnership with, with mom. <laughs> i mean but, we, I, yeah. we probably should yeah. <laughs> this way they're not funding us in any way no they maybe not. they should <laughs> Uh, So apply to that. And now it is time for this week's Weekly Words of Wisdom. Now, Liz is not here to do a sound effect, but you'll just have to imagine her voice. Um, She's searching for a turkey right now and pardoning a few. Now, we – Emily – That Sundance job has gotten weird. It it really has. (laughs) Hey, a job is a job, man, you know, if you're on the books. Uh, l- recently, em- our own Emily Buter uh, interviewed Margaret von Trotta, who came out with a new documentary, Searching for Ingmar Bergman. And we actually mentioned Ingmar Bergman recently when we discussed the top 100 foreign films list. And I know Persona was on there. And I think that might have been the only Bergman or definitely the only just one on the, the top. Just on the top 20. Top 20. Yeah. Okay.
0: It was, it was number six, I think. And I actually just watched it again recently. I've been on a – like last week, I've been at a big Bergman kick. Mm-hmm. And – uh oh my God, it's so good.
1: Persona, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's just like, ima- I can only imagine seeing that in the 60s and just being like, what the
1: fuck? But there's so many, like, the, if, if you make it through the first five or six minutes of the avant-garde experimental yeah. part, yeah. and then you get to the very erotic dialogue that comes its way, like, yeah. you know, that's like very much not of its time, or at right. least not that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. from 1966. Well, all it. the
0: editing, too, is just yeah. like crazy, and uh, it you can see how how this guy was a major influence on like David Lynch absolutely uh, in particular and also Criterion Collection to tie it back in just came out with like an entire box set of every single movie that Ingmar Bergman ever made really yeah wow. and it's got like a 240 page book that comes with it it costs $300 mm. but, but that's
1: probably a good chunk of movies yeah like, it's it's a lot of movies yeah. and
0: you can actually get it half off at Barnes and Noble right now so oh, it, it's a good time to get it. It just came out um, Tuesday wow. and it's actually like curated so they present it to you not chronologically but in a way that like is sort of built around a festival like a film festival atmosphere. Okay, uh, It sounds really cool and wow. if I could afford it I would buy it. Totally.
1: Buy. And I think it's his 100th it would have been his 100th birthday this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I, think think. I, so think I think it's, it's, it's celebrating his Centennial. 100th birthday. Um, so this documentary is out now about him and the Documentary filmmaker kind of went around speaking with uh, members of his family and fans and other filmmakers that he enjoyed. And this is, I thought, very important to kind of go over. When asked, what kind of curiosity do you think younger audiences and people in film school today have about Bergman? The director, Von Trata, said, I hope they have a curiosity at all. When you hear the name Igmar Bergman, there must be something that comes up in your mind. Most people will think of these dark films, these problematic films. Perhaps young people want to avoid being in a depressive mood. Watching Bergman's films can be very challenging. They make you see what you are feeling in your life. But maybe you are already depressed, and then you get less depressed when you watch his films because you see another human being who is also depressed. And so it's a sort of consolation. He was very personal, and he was perhaps more interested in faces and inner progression than only the film craft. He was very conscious of what he wanted to see in one shot. Uh, so I do think it's I like I like that she is kind of going in about how he is maybe associated with more emotionally dark, sad films. existential dread. Yeah, but I but in so many cases they do have this kind of uplift. I don't I don't think they're all so dark that you know you walk out of them feeling so depressed. Some are obviously a little bit more of emotionally challenging than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could still find things to really like and. You know, Seven Seal, Wild Strawberries, Cries and Whispers, Fanny and Alexander, especially, and things of that nature. And at least the name, hopefully, is remembered by film students going forward. I feel like we're kind of – box sets like that will help. Yeah. Um, well,
0: hey, Criterion Collection. Absolutely. Um, what, Is this movie out in theaters now? Do you know? It is. It, it is. is.
1: It was at uh, – well, I, will, I should say that it, it's still – on the festival circuit really. Okay. It was at New York the Film circuit. Festival and then was still was TIFF traveling. too? as well. Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure if it actually has opened yet, but it's still on the festival circuit if you're around one of those in cool. the near future.
0: Great. Well, now on some shout outs. And I actually have a shout out this week. Uh, and that's to Michelle Uranowitz and Daniel Jaffe who are some of my good friends. Michelle plays the lead in the short that I just made. And Daniel Jaffe, who is a director in his own right, uh, was the the script supervisor on it. And uh, they just made a movie. Michelle wrote it and stars in it. uh, And Jaffe directs it. It's called Goodbye Brooklyn. And it made its online premiere on No Budge this week so you can go check it out online. It premiered at Slamdance last year, uh, and the film will also be screening live in Brooklyn on December 10th as part of No Budge Live 17 at Nighthawk Cinema. Uh, So if you're in the area, you can go check that out. And that's also my other friends, Logan, George, and Celine Held will also be at that same No Budge Live with their short, Caroline, uh, which is also a very, very good short. Um, that you should check out if you haven't seen it already. It was a Vimeo staff pick uh, earlier this month, I think.
1: Well, there you have it. You know too many people.
0: I, that's all. That's all the people I know. Yeah,
1: the, <laughs> like it's a short, short block. That's everyone. I know them.
0: Anyways, uh, next Monday's podcast, as we said, is the podcast with Yorgos Lanthimos on the favorite. Um, I already told you all about that. So I've get, also said too much. I won't relive the details. <laughs> Now, because I get, I might get a little bit nauseous. But
1: listen to it, thinking that John is hungover. Oh, when I you're hearing
0: I it. edited the other day, and it's it's rough. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> so your ghost. Yeah,
0: it. I was stumbling all over my words and repeating questions, and just like also because this guy is like one of my big heroes yeah. or like idols, I guess. Uh, heroes is a strong word, but he is a an idol right. uh, in terms of what I want to be doing professionally.
1: And to be fair, a press day on a Saturday is kind of rare. It's so, so weird. You know,
0: let, it's, it was weird.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> but if you're a publicist, it. please no more Saturday uh, junkets. Um, you, of course, can read all of the stories that we've talked about on this podcast on NoFilmSchool.com. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, as always. I'm John Fisco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. I'm at Eric Lures. And you can follow No Film School at No Film School. Happy Thanksgiving. Watch Dreamcatcher. Yes. Let us know what you think. Tweet
1: us your reactions,
0: please. Hashtag William Goldman. Watch it. Watch it with like your watch it with your grandma or your grandpa or Aww. your or your dad. That's sweet. And let's get some cool reactionary shots. Hey,
1: those Amazon Prime rentals are gonna go up about like <laughs> yeah. 10% this week, thanks to us.
0: All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye.